0: Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature Apollo 13, I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com.
1: And I'm your other host, I'm Chris Henry of the EAA Aviation Museum.
0: And we are on the way to the moon. We they, are. Yeah, they uh, they just finished the, uh, the, the TLI, the translunar injection, so off they go. We see uh, Jerry Bostic there uh, reading off flight data, saying that they're uh, everything looks good, he's he's Fido. Ray McKinnon, the, the actor who's uh, playing uh, Jerry I didn't recognize him because I always know him as Lincoln Potter from uh, Sons of Anarchy, and in that one, he's got like shaggy long hair and he's got this big Van Dyke beard and kind of <laughs> slightly different role. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a, not exactly a shirt and tie uh, kind of a different role, but uh, he does a good job here. And uh, still wearing that great Plantronics mic- microphone that we talked about yesterday. They're right on the money. They're uh, still on the ground based uh, the ground based discussions reacquisition of Signal at Hawaii. Off they go. They're looking at the big. The big display sign up there at Mission Control, uh where they're measuring how far they are away from Earth in thousands of miles. Just an amazing time to be alive. That was uh just something you know, you don't you don't see that in Mission Control right now. Hopefully we'll see that again sometime, but just an amazing thought of how many how many thousands of miles away from Earth are you?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's unreal. I mean, you really felt like you're you had to have felt you were really going on some sort of grand adventure.
0: Yeah, yeah. The aptly named Odyssey. Yeah. Swigert uh, gets on the radio and tells Houston that he swapped out couches with uh, Jim Lovell. And so he's uh, going to do the transposition and docking. We're going to talk about this over the next couple of days, the transposition and docking. It's one of the key, you know, all the things that they learned in Gemini about rendezvous and especially docking, how to how to connect with another ship. They had plotted this stuff out with Gemini missions and uh, and learning how, I mean, Jim Lovell had done it as recently as Gemini 12 connecting with a, another vehicle in space and uh, docking it and maneuvering with, uh, you know, suddenly changing your center of gravity by a couple of feet, <laughs> you know, 10, yeah. uh, maybe 10 feet forward of you. Quite a thing to, uh, to learn and to master. Um, but fortunately, uh, Swigert, you know, knew what he was doing. I mean, he, he really knew every system on that, uh, on that command module. So I think he was really, if he couldn't have Ken Mattingly there, he was a good one for the job.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely! Yeah. It always amazes me. Is like you know, in relative to each other, they're, you know, they're only creeping up a few uh, feet and stuff like that when you go to dock. But it's, it's crazy when you think about how fast they're going over the Earth's surface. You're like they're they're screaming. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah,
0: yeah. It's uh, you know, and 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 leaving. They're leaving so fast. I mean, they're going to be at the moon. They're going to be a quarter million miles away in just four days. Wow. So uh, quite a. <laughs> Quite a bunch of speed freaks there. There's a couple of things going on here that really aren't uh, accurate. And the number one thing uh, is Fre- Fred Hayes. According to him, he never threw up, but uh, they had to they had to fit that in to just give them something dramatic. <laughs> so Fredo uh, throws up some what is uh, the production team said that it was uh, condensed pea soup. So he just had a <laughs> Hopefully they didn't have to do too many takes of that because I would imagine in the Zero Gravity, of the KC-135, it must have been a lot to clean up in between takes. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. That could, yeah I
1: don't think it would taste that good either. No, no,
0: <laughs> no. Just uh, here, take another swig of this and get ready to spit it out when we say action. <laughs> 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 kind of explains the 712 uh, arcs. I would imagine some of it yeah, they had to pause a to clean up. The other big thing that's uh, – the. the the mistaken part of this is remember that transposition and docking. The, the docking part is they're basically it's a planned collision between two really big heavy spaceships. So rather than what we're seeing here, where they're all wearing, or well, uh, Swigert's in his uh, spacesuit with the helmet off, and uh, Jim and Fredo are just kind of sitting around in their and uh, their you know in their flight suits. They're not in their spacesuits. But at the time when they were doing this, until they finished the transposition and docking, all three of them would have been in pressure suits, and uh, that's that's pretty much a kind of a poetic license there where, where they're not they're not wearing their suits. I guess it wouldn't have been looking too good if uh, Fredo was throwing up inside his helmet. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's true.
0: Kind of kind of dangerous too. I mean, yeah. It's, uh, 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 a rough, a rough go. There's a even, there's even a line that the uh, the Capcom says, uh, "Go for docking, or recommend you secure your cabin pressurization." Well, you'd only secure your cabin pressurization if you're expecting a change in pressurization, which means that you'd have your spacesuit on. So, even though they, they lifted that from the transcript of the mission that really never happened. Oh, interesting. Just a little thing. I mean, it's not a little thing, but it's just you know, I mean, when you're when you're picking it apart a minute at a time, you gotta you gotta look at all these <laughs> things. So. Wow. But, but, yeah, uh, just a
1: little bit of the artistic license they took in the dialogue.
0: Yeah. It's really just amazing. How much, I mean, this this was one of the trickiest bits. And they, you, you know, unlike flying on Earth, you really unless you're fueling an aircraft, that's about the only time that you do any kind of a docking at speed. You know, the weights involved, the center of gravity between these two, if if you're flying a heavy tanker, you know, the tanker is kind of holding still and it has a lot of mass. A fighter plane doesn't really have a lot of mass. So it's really not, when it bumps into uh, the, the hose, you're not really... Sending a lot of uh, mass shock along the along the hose, but on these two things, the center of gravity once the once the command module and the lunar module meet, uh, the CG becomes right about where the docking uh, port is. So it's a it's a significant. I mean, it's going to be a significant uh, crash. There are two pretty much evenly matched pieces of mass in space. So a lot a lot of bad things can happen.
1: Yeah, it's it's also a lot of stress on right in that area of those two spacecraft.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a, very, it's a very high high torque area. I mean, fortunately, that's kind of the pivot point. Uh, and we'll, we'll be talking more about this as we get closer to the, the regular docking part. But if you think about a seesaw, the center of the seesaw is the center of gravity on a seesaw. And where that probe that we can see at the last couple of seconds of this, we see the probe sticking out of the front end of the command service module. That probe is going to be the pivot point of the center of gravity between the CG of, of both the CSM and the limb so it's gonna it's gonna have a lot of stress on it but fortunately that becoming the new center of gravity if you have a pencil and paper draw yourself a, a triangle and put a seesaw on top of the triangle now as you balance if, if you have two people on a, on a seesaw and they're, they're kinda choked all the way they're, they're sitting very close to each other toward the middle of the seesaw there's not a lot of stress right at the middle part of the seesaw but as the further away you move from that the end of the seesaw you get a lot more leverage so there's a lot more sway so the good thing about having a center of gravity almost directly between those two objects, the lunar module and the CSM, the less torque you're going to be imparting directly around it, the probe and the drogue, isn't going to have a lot of motion. It would be a lot more difficult if you were plugging in you know, the, uh, the CSM into something that was a lot larger, like, say, a space station then then you have to worry about a lot more a lot more wrenching torque happening where you're trying to dock it's kind of a mental exercise to go through but you know that's, we're going to we're going to talk with somebody who, uh, who's done who's who's connected a uh, a device that where the weights were a lot different between the two objects being uh, connected in space but we'll we'll save that for later on in the week beautiful another beautiful scene here by a digital domain some of this is a model and some of it is uh, digital uh, enhancement, the lighting and the textures uh, are a little bit of di- digital enhancing, but that's a that's actually a pretty good uh, bit of modeling and we'll see in, in the next minute tomorrow, uh, we'll see a, little, a lot more detail on these things. You, you've built a couple of uh, Saturn Vs, ha- haven't you Chris
1: I have yeah yeah
0: I mean not one to one scale but yeah.
1: <laughs> well yeah exactly let's put that out there at yeah a yeah. 170 second scale and a 144th scale
0: and I'd I, I say one of the hardest things is lining up those SLA panels they're really it's <laughs> it's really <laughs> tricky. I mean there's like a little bit of a a lip a ring that you try to get the uh, the SLA has to has to sit on top of the that that's the s4bs the the, the lunar adapter that's the s4b's lunar adapter those four panels that that connect the s4b to the back end of the service module they're very thin and uh you know they, they each take up a quarter of a cord of, of a perfect circle there so a, a lot i imagine even in the one-to-one scale it must have been difficult trying to get it all lined <laughs> up and and having to, to push the stresses to hold that uh c- you know the command and service modules together just on that little ring that's at the top of the SLA.
1: You know, I don't know what stage it was. You're, you're talking about this, just reminded me. Did you ever see the video of them uh, trying to rock the Saturn V? It was, it,
0: no, no. There's
1: been video on, like, YouTube. Where they were, I think they were – I want to say they were testing, like, winds and stuff like that, like what would happen if really high winds were hitting and the thing was out on the pad. And they had, like, a bunch of, like, engineers, I think some of the astronauts, like they actually went out and they were, like, laying oh. down – on the pad i don't know how like at what level and with their feet on the saturn five they're like trying to rock it and wow yeah i'll have to send it to you maybe we can post yeah. it on our on our page but it, yeah, it's pretty that's... uh i have to say i gotta throw it out there i think i saw it in like space hipsters or something but, yeah okay um, no i have i
0: i, this, I it's, it's a must really see, wild like <laughs> i just uh yeah i'm just trying to imagine the, the oops if they can, <laughs>
1: yeah. guess
0: what you really shouldn't do that <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. No, I haven't. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a huge ship when you see it, you know, when you've, you've stood under them and I've stood under them and it, it they, I mean, it's a gigantic ship, but there's so many parts of it that are very, very delicate. And the SLA panels, uh, when I looked at them, they're not, it's, it's just sheet metal and a couple of ribs in the thing to hold, you know, to hold the command and service modules up while it's, while it's taking off. But it's just amazing how perfectly balanced the stress has to be on those SLA panels to uh, you know to keep to keep the uh, command and service module from impacting on the lunar module and the uh, the engine bell the engine bell of the SPS is I, I would I wouldn't even say a, a foot maybe a foot and a half uh, away from the top of the lunar module as it leaves it's it, there's a it's a really tight fit so just a uh, very impressive tolerances in the whole machine I mean it's just this 363 foot long Swiss watch. Um, well
1: that's you know i always told somebody uh, when i tell school kids in our museums that uh, the saturn 5 you know rocket is basically the most f- you know finely tuned high performance sports car that ever existed you know i mean because everything had to work so precisely uh or the mission would just end in disaster you know or yeah. at least a failure and uh it's amazing when you look at how intricate everything worked, but how giant everything was. Yeah,
0: yeah, and, and that, that they're made, you know, far away from each other. In I mean, the you know the command and service modules were built in Downey. The uh, uh,
1: um,
0: the S four B was down in you know near Huntington Beach, and it, they never saw each other until they got to Florida, and then they were they were you know put on top of each other, or they were there were parts that were sent to Alabama and then connected together and then shaken just to see how you know make sure everything didn't fall apart. Jeez. But you know, it, it's just amazing that they could build all these separate things and 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 put them all together, and and they'd hold the, they hold together for a, a hypersonic launch going you know twenty five times the speed of sound as it left the Earth's atmosphere. Um, just a, a, impressive. And people look at look back and saying, "Oh, it's older technology." It's like, well, it's older technology, but it's extremely fine tolerances. So a very very impressive thing to to stare at.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, I mean, it's certainly an achievement of man of of, of mankind. I mean, that thing yeah. is uh, it allowed it, it allowed us to explore other worlds literally. <laughs> so Yeah.
0: Anyway, this is a kind of a a prelude to a bunch of you know a bunch of great things coming up. But I think I think that's about all that's going on here. It's I do like the the Horner theme comes up and it's it's very this deep space sound that it has is mostly just. uh Uh, violins, uh, playing different, you know, different arpeggios. And you're just, you feel like, like it's just kind of floating and you're far away from home. I do, I do appreciate the, uh, the mood that the the music in the next couple of minutes sets. Uh, You really do feel like, boy, they're not, you know, they're not in the comfort of earth orbit anymore. They're, they're going places and they are, they are doing it on their own.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I actually had the – when we started this podcast, uh, I actually ended up buying the soundtrack on iTunes just because uh. Uh, we kept talking about the music. I'm like, I forgot how good the soundtrack was.
0: And you know, Horner, Horner's reused some of these things. When When you hear some of this, I think part of this music was taken from the firm. I mean, it just like lifted a section of it. Horner built his own language and – When you hear some of his different beats, you go into different movies, you'll hear three-beat note that it just... It's very driving. And he he used it in everything from The Rocketeer to Apollo 13 to... uh, I think it started in uh, uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. It's like this dump-dump-dump-dump-dump-dump-dump-dump-dump-dump-dump-dump-dump. And it's just this... You you know that sound you know the feeling because he's kind of programmed it into you from other movies and when you hear it you go oh this is the mood I should be in so it it it's an interesting it's Horner ease I guess was that book. you
1: know now that you mention it was it Horner that did the soundtrack to Backdraft
0: Hans Zimmer but yeah very similar sound
1: because yeah that that's that's in Backdraft as well
0: yeah and you know, uh, I mean you you start picking up you start picking him up in other in other movies and you go oh I know what he's saying here and. uh you know, as you listen to other movies, you're going, "Oh yeah, yeah, he did this in like Brave." I heard that in Braveheart. I heard it in um Willow. He did Willow, and feel the even feel the dreams. You hear stuff in there, oh. or um or Beautiful Mind, um, Avatar. Of course, Titanic. Uh, Titanic has a lot of these uh, these bits that you go, "Oh yeah, I, I recognize that. I've I've heard that before." I'm Trying to think of other ones. Uh, uh, real early ones. If you listen to uh, Mask of Zorro, the, that he. He, he pretty much lifts big hunks of uh, of Apollo thirteen, I and mean, when you're hearing it, it's kind of it's kind of like a uh, a Mexican version of uh, of the Apollo thirteen, thing. And, <laughs> you know, and but not inappropriate. I mean, he does he does use it where it's where it's needed, and it it comes across. You know the language, so it works right, and you know everywhere from Clear and Present Danger, he did Patriot Games, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He was everywhere in the '80s and '90s, even you know as far back as like Gorky Park and things. The moodiness of his of his sound without being like, he doesn't tell you how to, how to feel, but his music is very evocative. And this next sequence where we're watching the transposition and docking, you feel very much alone and you feel the tension building of, you know, what Jack, if Jack doesn't get this right, they're not going to land on the moon. And, and he expresses that very well in the music that you hear.
1: That's why music can definitely, uh, uh, it's amazing how much it'll set the tone for stuff. I mean, that, and he's a master at it.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just a, a beautiful, a beautiful sound. And, you know, there's other other composers do that. Alan Silvestri comes to mind, Michael Kamen especially. I mean, I, I love Michael Kamen's music and and everything and they all they were all of an age you know sadly we lost cayman and and horner sylvester is still around and does great you know d- does great things with his music but you start when you hear a horner score you go okay i know i know what he means and i know what he's talking about because you've learned it from all of his other films and i think uh, the directors that picked him knew the kind of feelings it, it i think it made made it a lot easier for uh for directors to get uh, an emotion out of an audience if they know that they have a, a Horner theme behind it. So, Well,
1: I can tell you one thing if you uh, are in the area of Huntsville and you want to go see that Saturn V, if you go there and pay your admission and go straight to the Saturn V, get on the elevator uh, up to the floor that it's on, uh, the doors were open and if you timed it just as like I did, you will actually be greeted by the theme to Apollo 13. Uh, no. As you're in the room with the Saturn V, and man, you get chills. I mean, that is truly awesome of them to be playing stuff like that. It's really cool.
0: Yeah, he's uh, he was it was amazing. I mean, it's I I, I can't quite connect him to. He did uh, he wrote somewhere out there, you know, the American tale. It's just like it's all part <laughs> of the same. Three. You know, he still he he could do. He, he had quite a wide range. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> you know, he,
0: hearing these hearing these things, it's just he won so many. Uh, I mean, like Titanic with the Oscars, you know, there. And uh, I think he did it for Avatar as well. And may be wrong, but he, uh, yeah, he was definitely a a major force in uh, in cinematic. He's he's up there with with Williams and uh, even Bernard Herrmann uh, in in just terms of how. But he had his own style of doing this, and I think he really he brought everything up another couple of notches just by having having his scores on board. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I agree. So anyway, that's that's all we can talk about for for this particular minute. Um, If uh, if people have other thoughts on this, you're always free to contact us via the social media. We're on uh, Facebook at uh, the Apollo 13 minute mission control. We're also on um, uh, Twitter. At Twitter, at Apollo 13 <laughs> Minute. I always forget I always forget the name of that, that particular platform. But uh, you, if you uh, have missed previous episodes, go out to our big site, Apollo13minute.com, Apollo13minute.com, or you can find us on iTunes or um, Google Play. Just type in Apollo 13 Minute in the search bar and click on subscribe, and you'll get this delivered hot and fresh every day Monday through Friday. Uh, we will be back tomorrow and talk about some uh, – things with delta v's and uh lv lh and well a lot of technical terms and hopefully uh, hopefully it'll still be <laughs> interesting but it looks like we're coming up on uh we lost the signal in about 30 seconds so we will catch you here tomorrow next time on DePaul 13 minute